All right. This is coming in on the top. Today on the show, we have AJ in the Woods. We're joined by Allison, JC, and Zach of AJ in the Woods. And uh, we're here to talk about their new record, Stay Steady, available now on all streaming platforms. Also, if you go to ajinthewoods.com, you can get a vinyl of it or at their show, which is August 20th at the House of Blues, AJ in the Woods, with opening acts uh, Brent Kirby, Mikey Silas, and uh, Morning Bird. It's a jamming lineup for sure. Um, you guys may have heard our prior episodes with Mikey and Brent, and you guys will know that those two are huge supporters of the Cleveland music scene and a huge part of the Cleveland music scene, and so is AJ in the Woods. Any uh, crazy idea I've had uh, to do a benefit show for to help a student of mine get a service dog or to help a, a teacher friend of mine who is having uh, uh, pregnancy issues, like any crazy way to help the community. I pitched some wild week of streamed shows or whatever. JC and Allison have always been down. They have also done their own fair share of community support with the Women's Rock CLE concert series. Um, It's important to support our friends and celebrate their successes because their successes are your successes. And it's super fun to brag about your friends. It's way better than bragging about anything you've ever done, right? At least I think. Anywho, um, I've done a lot of work with JC over the last few years at Front Street Social. I host an open mic night there every other Wednesday. It happens every Wednesday. I'm there every other. So this is someone I get to see a lot, and it's really cool to see them diving in to their expression. So, August 20th at the House of Blues. It's going to be a really rocking show. Definitely, if you can, make your way out there. Uh, we're going to listen to a track off their new record. This is Home Off Stay Steady.
AJ in the Woods, the album's Stay Steady, available now on all streaming platforms. August 20th is the show. Um, before we get into it, if you guys can like, rate, review, subscribe to one of the podcast platforms, it really helps me keep talking to cool guests and sharing their insights with you. At the very end of this episode, I think it's going to be the first time, and it's a rough draft of it, but my dear, dear friend, Mr. Dakota Michael Kroos, gave me this really rad gift that is at the end of this episode. That's my cat, bragging about how cool it is. Tell him, Noodle. Thanks. But anywho, it was dearly sweet of him, and it's it's wicked. It's wicked cool. Um, anywho, here's my talk with uh, JC, Allison, and Zach of AJ in the Woods. So they kind of jump into it to kind of set the background. I don't remember when we met, like, as far as, like, playing gigs, but I remember I... It was solo gigs, and I think it was the grog shop. I don't, I don't think that's when I met you guys. Um, but as far as AJ in the woods, it started off with just you and JC, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. It started um, just us um, in January of 2015. Was our first uh, thing as AJ in the woods, and we did um, Brett Kirby's Ten by Three. Okay. Um, yeah, and then from there, we built it up. Um, we added a uh, bass first, then we added drums. Um, and then Zach was not our first drummer, but came on pretty shortly after, I think 2017, maybe? Sure, something like that. Yeah, um, and then, yeah, and then Zach's been with us ever since then, so Zach's a pretty, seems like a core member for us, and so now we got... So we got the four, and then we added um, Fiddle um, Piper, who does fiddle and backup vocals for us. So we're normally a five-piece now. It's pretty exciting. That's super awesome. And well, Zach's a hell of a player, my friend. Um, Thanks, so man. man. <laughs> yeah, I think I met you at the Grog Shop. I th- you 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 already knew them, but I think okay. that's the first time I met you. Okay, that that I think that checks out. Um, but how did you and Allison? How did you and JC start playing together? Like before even yeah. going to Brent Kirby. So we met through a um, mutual friend. So we both went to Baldwin Wallace College, now it's university. Um, and then 
we didn't meet each other in college, but we had a mutual friend um, from college. And she had at that time, she was living in, in Little Italy and had a birthday party. And we met there. And then we were just like friends on social media for like a year or two. And then ended up um, at the same open mic. And at that time, um, I was doing some solo stuff and I was looking for, you know, some other people to play with. JC had been in bands before, but right at that point, um, didn't have anyone he was playing with. So we just decided, hey, he asked me over to jam. And that was like the fall of 2014. Um, okay. and, and then, yeah, went from there. Were you playing banjo at that time? No. So okay. I didn't. I was playing guitar. Um, so it was just two guitars. So Aging in the Woods started as two guitars and vocals. And then I didn't pick up the banjo until maybe 2016, I think. I've always loved the instrument and wanted to play it. And then my roommate at the time, um, her mom's friend knew I wanted to play banjo and had like an old one sitting in her closet and she gave it to me. So that's what I started playing on. Because I remember I remember at the grog shop, I think it was the first, the, Lisa was the first show we did together. You're working on those roles and I was asking you questions about it. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like... Um, <laughs> But okay, so that's so. Did it start like you had these songs written, and pres needed a, a group to back it up, or the songs that are now AJ in the Woods songs, like did they come out of playing together? Did some of that solo material make it to this record? I guess uh, none the of the solo material made it to the current record. No, when we first started playing out, it, I did my solo stuff. I was my solo material, and then you know JC would play with me, and then it was pretty shortly like we started writing you know together pretty much right away and then have since within like the first year kind of like took all of those out so everything on the new record is is all all written uh new okay. as AJ in the woods because one thing i found really fascinating was like at that monday night um at the front street at the songwriting uh, uh um uh, music Mondays is that what we're calling? Mm -hmm. it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think it's yeah, Music Mondays. Yeah. At at Music Mondays when the power went out, right? I think it, that was like for me seeing you guys just play together. I'm like I I see this dynamic. All right, that like that maybe wasn't as clear before. Maybe it was because there was no power, so everyone had to listen. It mm -hmm. kind of it, it made a ten by three per per circumstance, you know, or everyone had to like mm -hmm. tune in and listen, but um. One, so that really really kind of diving into like your like the melody and song structure with JC's style is like I wonder how this works. So to kind of mm -hmm. dive into your guys' process a little bit, is it kind of like uh presenting chord progressions to each other and then working off melodies or like how does or do you present a song and JC adds? So it is a 100% collaborative process. So normally JC will be like, oh, this is a cool riff. I have this riff. And we'll either be in practice or he'll record it and send it to me. And then from that riff, I'll be like, oh, this kind of sounds like a verse. or this kind of sounds like a, a chorus. Um, and then, you know, I'll work on vocal melodies to that. And then we'll sit together and be like, okay, like let's work through the structure. Okay, this sounds good. This sounds good as a verse. This sounds good as a chorus. Now, now write me and I'll tell him, I need a bridge. Write me a bridge. And so he'll take it back and figure out like what musically guitar wise, you know, would sound good with the bridge. And then I'll take it and I'll write all the melody over it. And then I'll add um, lyrics. And then the banjo usually comes after that, or if not like, 
right around like the melody, vocal melodies are there. And then from there, we had drums, we had bass, we had fiddle, we had all the other parts. Got it. Well, it makes it makes sense. All the texture things come in after the structure exists. Um, yeah. And it's really interesting on the record because I've gone now that it's come out on Friday. Um, I've listened to uh, I've listened to the whole thing uh, like four times. Um, and like and J C <laughs> gave me the the um, test press of the vinyl, and like mm-hmm. even there, like I have a, a horrible, I don't have a good record player, so I really couldn't like hear like I was a horrible probably test press mix because <laughs> I was just hearing the I was just hearing the song structure, and that was that was like real. I was like, how you guys built up some of these dynamics that like or maybe don't have the same texture when it's just the two of you or even in a live setting because you know i mean like there's there's mm-hmm. recorded work and that's that's its own thing and that's its own practice and attempts like and, and then there's the live work which is always going to be not as lush just because of it's in a different environment and it can't be the mm-hmm. same every time but seeing how like that recorded environment like brought out certain parts and then kind of thinking back to Monday when I was hearing those parts by themselves, it's like it really adds another level to it. So the texture coming in, like how it does after the structure makes a lot of sense. Um, mm-hmm. Now, like it's a, like because JC, I know with the record and I know through conversation, like there's a whole like kind of like switch with the guitars. Right. So what 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 exactly was that? Was it taking it from the acoustic through the amplifier and switching to just straight electric? Well, that's one of the things you and I bonded on. We were both putting an acoustic guitar yeah. in an electric amp and then just <laughs> sending it home. And uh, I was getting into you know I felt like I was getting limited. Okay. Because when you're playing an acoustic guitar, to like the the style that I do, it's there's only so much you can go with 13 strings and high action, right? Yeah. Before you're like, I'm get, I feel like I'm getting limited or slowed down or bogged down by fighting the instrument itself. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, in practice, I bring out an electric and like, now nah, this fucking sucks. And then go back to doing the acoustic. And then I'm like, yeah, but I could really get, you know, this tone with an electric. And I just kept fighting with it. And then, uh, one day I just, I built uh, a Telecaster to the way I want it out of parts from a 1985 52 reissue. Okay. And, uh, and I'm like, if I can build the guitar to the way I want it, maybe I'll be happier with using a guitar. And I was, you know, there's, but there is still a, like, like a bounce to the 13 gauge strings on an acoustic that is tonality still there. It's just the style. And the reason I play the way I do is because I didn't really have many friends growing up. I definitely didn't have friends that could play music with me. So I kind of learned how to lead and rhythm at the same time. Mm. Definitely. I kind of had to teach myself that. Yeah, that makes sense with a lot of your, like, after you knowing you for so long and hearing you play, like, you definitely do vibe on both, like, the Hendrixy like, lead and rhythm bits where you're accompanying yeah. yourself. Yeah, and I, that was just out of necessity. That was not, like, you know, I'd probably be a different player if I had a brother or sister that I played with, you know, but I was just, you know, only child trying to figure it out the way I went. And so with, with the acoustic, like, I don't get me wrong, I love playing acoustic. It's one of my favorite, you know, you can't lie with an acoustic guitar. Right. You can't hide. There's, you're right there. And if you're not a good player, everyone's going to know you're not a good player. So I'm a firm believer everything you write and do needs to be on acoustic because sonically and tonality, you can, you can tell if you're, if you're lying or not, right? Right. So switching over to the electric, it, it, it came at a, at a, at a like slow grade uphill battle until I was comfortable with it. 
so like this album release show we're still i'm mixing everything i'm still going to do acoustic and electric you know we're going to trade on and off because sometimes songs call for an acoustic right like gypsy, sometimes gypsy i've heard that so many times on that acoustic it'd be it'd be weird to hear it without the electric live yeah and then you know that's one of the ones i switched over to electric yeah it's, yeah yeah because you, you just i don't know it, there's a full like that's the other thing like with my rig it took me a long time to get comfy with the rig. I tried a lot of amps. Yep. And then uh, <laughs> I got high on mushrooms one day, and I was just playing with my guitar acoustically. Yeah. And uh, I was listening. I think I was listening to Zeppelin. And I was listening to Hendrix. I was listening to you know, the 60s stuff. And I go, well, shit. They're just straight into a Marshall. That's, that's the tone I like. I'll just do that. And I, I got the, built the guitar, found a Marshall that worked for me. And, you know, the, the way Alice and I write, and then that's kind of, you know, here's the thing. People get so lost on gear. Right. You can go down a rabbit hole. Well, I need this pedal. I need this compression. I need this reverb. I need this, that, that, and this. And what happens is you get, you lose your, your tone. And a lot, you know, those guys with the pedal board that the size of a pool table, you know, they can hit a note and make it go for six weeks. And I'm fascinated by that. I think that's awesome. But guitar playing is playing a guitar. Right. Not playing, playing your feet on a, on a board, you right. know? And yeah. so going straight into that Marshall, you know, the, the only pedals I use are uh, uh, Holy Grail Reaver because that Marshall doesn't have a reverb tank. If it did, I wouldn't have that pedal. And uh, a boost just because I don't want to walk over and manually switch the boost on my amp. Right. I can just do that with a pedal. Right, right, right. No, the boost is, the boost is clutch, especially for the acoustic thing. And I, you know, people, people are coming to hear you play, you know what I mean? They're not coming to hear yeah. your pedals play. And like part of, I totally agree, especially like you know, doing the open mic night circuit and just doing the just working at guitar center or working at any of these places. You, you meet the gearheads and yeah. this, this is for any instrument. You meet the gearheads that get taken away from not playing, not even just playing the instrument, but playing music. They, they get yeah. more distracted from that aspect of what what it is and more into into the specs of it and those specs help in certain situations oh absolutely they do. and like they should be they should amplify who you are to some degree not not hide so i definitely yeah. agree with that so that's that's but that's that's all you need these plugs straight in and i know as a guy who uses pedals <laughs> they use like my loop and shit um it's a different a different thing, but when it comes down to it, really, that's all that needs to be there. And if yeah, you're... and what you do is great because you're by yourself when you do those. Yeah, so you know, you're you're enhancing your sound. You're not covering up your sound to reproduce something else. Well, I appreciate that. Trying, and that, but that's that's the idea, like to not cover yourself and just project better. So, like the hearing that, I appreciate that. Um, but so that's another thing I wanted to ask. Um, because we've talked about this in passing, but I found it fascinating. Is you said you had a 1985 remake Telecaster, and you were you were a, you always go for the instrument of '85, right? Yeah. And that like wh how'd that come about? Dude, I have no idea. I got yeah. I could look. So I have ADHD, dysgraphia, dyslexia, dyscalculia, um, severe learning disabilities. I always have right, and part of that, as you know, being a special ed teacher. We, we, with those kind of challenges, fall into like these pockets of obsession, obsession yeah. for sometimes it could be a video game. That's why I don't play video games anymore because I was getting obsessive over it. Um, 
and you just go balls to the wall with that obsession. For whatever reason, I got really into collecting things from 1985, the year I was born. Mm-hmm. I have watches. I have a Jeep. I have guitars. And part of it, I think, is there's something fascinating about knowing that that object has spent the same amount of time on this planet being what it is as I have. So that that guitar, I mean, I got the body of that guitar with the pickups in it. The neck was gone. You know, it's, it's, it's still visibly beat up. I never cleaned it. That thing has a story, and it's lived an entire life for 32 years up until the point I got it when I was 32 and built it. And now it has a whole new life. That could have been someone's favorite instrument. That could have been someone's first guitar. That person could have died, and then, it, you know, someone dismantled it for parts, and then I found it and brought it back to life. That's a story, and I think that's fascinating. That's, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does it make sense? Like, no, it's a it weird. Totally makes sense. Some people collect Pokemon cards. Yeah. <laughs> They're right next to Front Street. We see them every week. Dave <laughs> every day. <laughs> Dave Myers comes in every Wednesday. Like, and that just goes to vintage instruments in general. I mean, people like vintage stuff because one, it was made better, I think. Uh, two, there's a story to it. And three, it's, 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 oh, I, I'm a firm believer that. When you put a lot of energy into something, that thing has its own existence. That maybe not be measurable to us, but there's an energy. There's a there's a there's a matter of factness to it. Right. Right. Yeah. So Tyler Tyler Ray has that guitar right now. He was fixing a, a pickup on it, and he called me yesterday. He goes, "Dude, the pickup fix. This thing is a beast. It's <laughs> it's its own it's its own little thing." Because I haven't played a guitar like that, it, and he's playing it through the phone. And I'm like, "See, now when you play it, it sounds completely different." I'm like, "Are you going through your?" Uh, box he goes yeah i'm like dude i never knew that guitar sounded like that because it sounds completely different to me when i touch it you know but it's its own thing now so it's cool too when someone picks up a piece of history that maybe belongs to you or me and they they can feel that kind of vibe with it right you know instead of just buying something new off the shelf definitely and there's something too like like we 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 find it it's interesting because like in rooms or historic places that's kind of like accepted you know what i mean like this is a fill in the blank this is a the whatever monument and like or this is where this happened we preserved this house this is where edison invented the the bulb you know i mean like wherever like little history store i don't know historic spots like that i'm trying to come up with a better example but like those historic spots have that energy you kind of walk into that and people i feel are more understanding of that that like walking into history but if a place can hold that type of thought in inspiration and energy it makes sense that a tool or an instrument which is just a tool of an instrument is a tool yeah exactly yeah would be able to hold that as well and like See, like i agreed like ginger you you played my guitar ginger the acoustic yeah. yeah yeah so that guitar was given to me by a music store as like a sponsor years and years ago and it was brand new and they said pick one out and i played tons of them that was not the most expensive or the least expensive i just played it and it felt okay right right and then since I've owned that guitar, every AJ in the Woods song has been written on that thing before it goes to electric or anything else. And we were on the road on on, on tour going, I think we were, we were absolutely in uh, Mississippi, and we stopped. I wanted to find dirt crossroads. Nice. I got out, yeah. you know, picked up a handful of, of dirt and water and rubbed it all over that guitar. Now, I'll be damned if that guitar hasn't had a different vibe to it ever since. And you can still visibly see the dirt on it. Yeah. And for any of your listeners who don't know the story, Robert Johnson, the most influential blues player, some call him the guy that invented the blues, um, was a horrible, notoriously horrible guitar player. 
And then one summer he disappeared and came back and he could play blues better than anyone of the time or guitar that matter. And so it was said that he sold his soul at the crossroads of the devil to play blues guitar. And that's why he died at 27, which is also one of the beginnings of the 27 club. Right. Right. And I like that juju. I love that vibe, you know, and I wanted some of that, that energy and that guitar has that on it. That's so cool. That's like, I, uh, as a kid, um, my family, we took a trip to Clarksdale because my uncle recommended it. He like uh, travels everywhere, and they play. Yeah. They play. He's like a folk. He's into like uh, um, uh, I'm trying to remember. The, it'll come back. He's like into folk music, and yeah. uh, we, so we went down there to their recommendation. And like, there's three places where the crossroads cross. Right. You go into Clarksdale, Mississippi, and there's the one with the big sign, and then uh, yeah, further out in the high like down that highway they cross again which is probably where you went and i guess there's another one too and there's but that's the thing too that's like a historic spot that may or mythological spot because who knows if that actually happened or not like people who put their time in and shed and really work on themselves definitely come out better it could be just that but there's something cool to that to that darkness and un- as a guitar player that story is amazing and it's you know it's infamous right right so mm-hmm. i remember going there too as a like and like it's you walk back in time when you go there i was actually i was talking with jason jason patrick patrick myers about this because oh in, yeah he's in clarksdale now he goes every year Did he moved there no 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 oh, he's just oh. he goes every year for like a mental clarity trip like an inspirado mm-hmm. trip and he'll go he'll hit the crossroads and then he'll sit on a church uh uh steps and like just write and he, i think he plays a gig down there too or something like uh oh, cool. but yeah but like there's so there's there's this magic to places and it it's not hard to think that there'd be a magic to a tool like uh another thing that is interesting like in the Cleveland Public Library they have the desk that the guy who made Superman made it on Oh really? Yeah, Superman's like apparently a, a Cleveland creation. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. But um, uh, the kind of off the topic of kind of like establishing like this mystique and uh, like presence that that is put into a thing and resonates past its due. Um, one thing I found really interesting was at that acoustic gig on Monday. Um, you guys said or JC, you said something about making sure you guys were in the groove in reality to preserve what you've done for your, for your children. And so they can have this vinyl. I'm, yeah. I'm Keith s- Richards, Keith Richards said that he goes, once you're in the grooves, you're immortal. And he right. was talking about the grooves of a record. Right. So one thing I, I just kind of want to ask as a group, because I know you guys as people and I see it, but as a group, like, what have you guys like? Is it important to kind of like document and leave leave stuff for those to step up from? I guess uh, I'm saying that in the wrong way. Like, uh, well, no, no, you said it the right way. I mean, we all listen to old records, Beatles, Zeppelin, you know, ZZ Top. I mean, we all listen to those. It's like Jack White said, you know, find the music you really like, and then find out who they listen to, and then find out who they listen to, and then find out who they listen to. And it's always a crossroad right back to the blues and, and rock and R&D start. So that's, I, I think that's important. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think it needs to be there for other people to hear. They might not like it. They might learn this is why I don't like it. Or they might find a new genre of music they didn't know they enjoyed. Definitely. Right? No, yeah, no, I definitely agree with it. The tracing of the roots, for sure. 
and it makes clear the bits that are melded into that person. Like the, mm-hmm. that's one uh, on the side tangent. One thing that drives me crazy is a lot of people don't like the high uh, to like kind of like be like I am really into this thing. They they like they come off with the mystique that they're completely coming up with this on their own. Like yeah, that blows my mind because we all wear band shirts of bands we like, but when it comes mm-hmm. to talking about what we're playing. Sometimes it's like, oh, I don't know. I just came up with it. You know, like, no, that that was totally a Hendrix influence thing. You can totally. Say oh, absolutely. It, you know? Yeah. Everybody has influences and you have to learn somewhere. Right. Um, yeah. And I feel like the, the creativity is taking something that you like and you've heard and making it your own. You know, like that's why whenever we do play covers, we, we try to call it AJ in the woods, a five, a cover, you know, and not play it the same, not play it note for note. It's like. Because it's been done and we love it for that reason. So we're going to take our own spin on it. So think in even writing, it's like, okay, this might have been an inspiration. Well, how can we make it our own? How can we do it differently? How can we, you know, expand on it? As far as like uh, with, uh, Allison, with your songwriting influences, who are some of the people that who do influence you? So I'm I got really into the folk bluegrass sort of Americana scene. So it started off with um, the Avett brothers back in like like old school yeah. 2006, but kind of like crossed over from to like uh, to that. And now like I love Punch Brothers. I love um, I'm with her. That sort of new grass um, feel to it. Um, and then yeah, it's just that's like I think my biggest inspiration at the moment um vocally and like melody wise because you know we're a heavy rock band and I'm able to like you know belt and scream and do those notes but I also want to have more nuance and you know my vocal style and I come back I have my background is in classical training so like I yeah I'm a classically trained vocalist I'm classically trained um pianist and I think all of that helps in what we're doing, especially like, you know, being able to like hit a super high note and then go down really low. And like, how do you do that physically with your body and your voice in order to like pull that off? So like having that training is really helpful and to not, you know, ruin your voice. Right. Um, so I think like all of those influences that you wouldn't, you know, if like once, you know, you find that out, if you listen to it, like, oh, OK, I can kind of hear it here when you go up into your head voice or, you know, I'm going to belt at this one because that's like the rock thing to do. And and also, like, it depends, too, on like the situation, because when we played on Monday, when the power was out, like I was if we were just the two of us and it was a little softer and I had the microphone, I might have went in my head voice for a couple notes. But at this point, I was like, well, in order for you to hear me, I need to belt it out. So changing it depending on the situation too, I think is important. Right, right. That's that's super interesting because like all the skill set that falls into that, like you can get away with a lot with a mic as far as like low notes and making them mm-hmm. like a, that breathy breathy approach a lot of people use. So yeah. stepping off it is a whole nother thing. And one like as far as like talking about the record and re- uh, vocal nuance, the song Buckeye, like hearing that on the record i remember like when jc gave me the the press or the 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 test press like that tune i was like holy shit like the choir and how you guys work the vocal arrangements even though i didn't have a good 
mix of what I was hearing because my my record player is trash. Um, I was still like blown away by the parts. Like, can you kind of dive into the process for that one? Sure. So that was JC's idea, right, JC, to do the kind of oh yeah the um the backing choir, yeah. And then we had um, Madeline Finn help a little bit on um, some of our vocal production. So she did about like yeah. So she kind of helped. Um, you know, formulate, especially in the bridge, that whole kind of like call and response part to it. Um, so that was like extremely helpful. And then we we got, you know, a bunch of friends. I have friends from BW that are musicians um, come into the studio and there was baby, you know, Zach sang on it. Um, yeah. And then, yeah. Oh yeah, Zach's a good singer. I bet. So yeah, so he was on it as well. And like, just, it's one of those two, like we maybe had like six or seven people, but just like being able to to layer it made it sound like, you know, someday I'd love to do it with the whole choir, but um, it worked well on the record. So that's kind of, that was a really, really fun day doing all the backing for that. That's a, mm-hmm. like, when you track though, like once you get the main thing done, it's like adding the spice is what's the most fun part because you get to see mm-hmm. how it grows. But yeah, that, because I've heard that song a lot by itself, but hearing it in that context, it was like perfect. I was like, oh, that cool. I, like the vocals fit so well. And there's a, even like in the bridge part of uh, Adeline, the second track, um, mm-hmm. that part hits differently with all the, all the spices behind it too. It's so, it's really, it was really like with when you guys were addressing some of these like my like these these textures and like how to place the banjo and how to place like uh the violin and like was this like all like listening back a million times or were some of these ideas brewing from when they were first written um i think some of them were when they were first written because like our you know mike brown who produced and recorded everything for us like he would send us you know back a mix or we'd listen to in the studio and be like this needs to go up this needs to be louder like we kind of knew what we wanted but then there was a couple times where it was like you know just it was listening a thousand times you know just listening to it over and over and over and then we'd all of us would listen individually then we'd sit together write out all of our notes to make sure we agreed on you know it and then we would send it back and this was like after we recorded everything to do the mixing process so like some of it we knew right away and we were able to like get that done while we were in the studio for the first mix but it was those little those little bits and pieces those like 50 50 you know kind of deciding after the fact oh this would sound better here or this would sound a little better if it was a little higher here or this was too loud you know yeah, that's like when you start to do the texting and emailing back and forth, and then you get the next mix, and like that gets to be the worst. Like it's it's yeah. so much better to be in the room, but when you're in that room, those speakers sound way more different than like it does mm-hmm. in the car. Oh yeah, you know. And yeah. we made sure it was like listen to it on your computer, listen to it in your car, listen to it on your mm-hmm. you know amazing speakers, listen to it on your phone speakers. Yeah. Like get all of the different options. So you are hundred percent sure, you know, we know what we want to change. Was it so like, because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in the process right now with sea level stuff. We're, we're doing the same bit, right? Going back and forth, sending the thing, turn that up, turn it. Mm-hmm. How do you make the snare further in the back, but more present? You're like, what? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? <laughs> it gets to be like, oh man, drums are the hardest to try to like navigate. The drum sound on the record's awesome. I wanted to ask you. Thank you. Drum can- sound is hard to navigate um because i've tried doing some stuff at home and 
you know, it's a, it's a challenging thing to mix. Mike Brown did a, a really nice job. Um, and we, I mean, like most recordings where we started with the drums, I played along to them um, in the room to scratch tracks, you know, that we'd, mm. we'd put down. Um, but the, uh, Mike did a, like the way that he approached it was very, he always wanted to leave space at the top. And um, so he he didn't like, even the drums are very um, open sounding and he didn't, uh, didn't overdo it. And like, at first I was kind of like, I kind of thought that they sounded a little thin, um, but I got used to the sound and now I, I'm very pleased with how it all came together. It's in, it's interesting kind of hearing it by itself too. Like drums being like everything's next to each other, all the mics, like as far as frequencies and like stuff getting phased in and out, that's the worst because everything's crammed together. And it's the hardest to get yeah. that tight and like potent for whatever mix. Um, Zach, tell them about cutting a hole in your drum our first day yeah. there. Yeah, uh, uh, what? <laughs> yeah, so we, we went in there the first morning of, uh, so we went in to record Adeline, right? It was like, okay. all right, we're going to just do this one track thing. That was the first thing from this album that we recorded. And uh, I'm setting up and I had been playing with my bass drum with uh, with a full head on the front. Right. Okay. Because um, I just, I don't know, it's just what I had. And uh, I, I like that sound like in a live room. But um, we get into the recording studio and Mike Brown walked in and it was like, he didn't even say hello. He just looked at it and he was like, can we cut a hole in that? <laughs> I was like, um, so we, uh, JC said, look, I'll buy you a new head. Just do it. <laughs> so I, um, we, we got a styrofoam bowl out of the kitchen and used it to trace on the front. And then I got out my pocket knife and uh, we just sliced the, you know, four or five inch hole in the, in the head. And we recorded with that. It sounded great. <laughs> That's awesome. That's like, that was his introduction of Mike Brown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like this was, it was at superior sounds, right? Where you guys tracked? No, no, lava no. Room. Lava room, lava room, lava room recording. Yeah. Yep. All right. Cool. Cool. Um, that's dope. Um, like, it's but you gotta respect the guy who just knows what how to make this room work, you know. And mm -hmm. it, it sucks when you pay that forty bucks for the head or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he uh, he knew what was gonna work, right? Right, right. But like, so who did the chains then? Whose idea was the chains? I don't remember where that idea came from. I I did the recording in the room we just dropped them against a, a wooden um like, like box a right? of plywood or something yeah <laughs> it's perfect Isn't, is that where that. is that where jc also stomped through is that something different he stomped through the board? that was something different that was on okay. buckeye i think was on buckeye. i broke a floor you broke a floor <laughs> cool i we also weighed 260 little... pounds at the time so that's part of it <laughs> We well, brought in these little riser things to stomp on yeah. to get a little bit of like reverberation for for stops, oh, and we okay. both put on our our cowboy boots and um, <laughs> wailed at it. And he he stepped right, broke broke through a like three quarter inch piece of plywood. Awesome. That's the most Bruce Lee uh, Bruce Lee recording. 
I'm going to say stomp. You stomp, man. That's right. <laughs> but, you know, even like at Front Street on Monday, I was like, man, you're smacking the floor really hard. <laughs> That's an old building. That would be awesome. If it was it's just- because it's because I'm not good at keeping time in my head. It's it's interesting. It's hundred ten percent legit. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. It's something you gotta feel, right? It's interesting because music's all written out, and it's something everyone like. If if you had to like, if you could write your emotions out like a piece of music's written out, like um, everyone would understand each other completely because when music's yep. written out, it's to the T exactly what moment happens and what pitch it happens, and like, but but that's it doesn't become emotion it doesn't become an emotion until someone plays it right so it's so interesting that something so theoretical is something that's really all just about feeling or something that or that the inverse of that something that's so felt has to be written so theoretically to be explained and Uh like i it's a bit it's a i don't know it's just an interesting loop i've been in recently because like trying to teach is like you're trying to teach all this these technical things but really it only matters if it, you can feel it in the feeling of it. And like, it makes 110 cents that like you would have to slam your foot to feel that beat, you know? Oh yeah. It's always well, been see, like that too. I mean, I have no, I no idea why. Yeah. You know, you, you stomp a lot and especially when it's, you're playing a duo thing and there's a lot of bass drum in the music. Um, and we link up all the time over it. Right. So, um jason will turn around and he's watching my leg and i'm watching his hand and that's how it uh how it all connects yeah i don't have to stop stomp as much when i got you know the timekeeper right. behind me father time back there i can feel it through that but the, but it's different because you can feel it through that and like, oh yeah is that part of why uh you usually play with no shoes is to feel that um I honestly don't have a good reason why I don't play with shoes. I think part of it is I could, I feel more grounded and attached yeah, to the, just the feel of the music. Um, I, I really, I barely like wearing shoes to begin with. And, and when, when I'm playing live, like I can move, I'm not slipping. I, I feel more, more controlled and center when I'm barefoot, I guess it's just, I've always been like that. I hate wearing shoes and I definitely will not play live wearing shoes. Hell yeah. No, I, I mean, would... it's been 20 degrees out of bright winter. I've been on a metal mm-hmm. stage doing it. Oh my God. That'd be numbing. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, it's, I just feel better. I feel more attached to my guitar and I feel more in tune with the music. It makes sense. Like there's a whole like theory of like people who, who ground who do the shoeless thing into like even like sleep with a a grounded bedded bedding like they put it like they plug it's like a sheet that people plug into the ground outlet of the house. Oh, well, that's grounded. weird. Yeah, like but in a, in the whole theory of it, it's like we're all electrical impulse machines, right? So yeah, when you wear shoes. You're like you're cutting you're you're cutting yourself off from being grounded. It's in, it's, I, I believe that. Like there there must be a thing to it. Like you do it, Benny does it from Quasi Kings. Like um, <laughs> if my feet didn't smell as bad, I might do it. <laughs> there you go. You gotta try it, man. Um, Benny, give it a shot. Yeah. Well, was it maybe next might night? Let's see how let's how many people we can get off the list <laughs> if I do that. There you go. Nice. <laughs> but um. 
One, so another thing I wanted to, because I, I know you guys have a limited amount of time, because where are you, JC? You're like out of town? No, I'm at I'm at the bar right now. Oh, you're he at the was bar. out of town this this weekend. Oh, yeah, okay. I just I couldn't come over. Got it, got it, got it. Um, yeah. One thing I wanted to touch upon is like community wise, how much you guys do, and if you guys can explain, like I know it's been maybe a couple years because of the pandemic, but the women's rock um, mm-hmm. show that you guys did and how that came about. Sure. So women rock CLE. Hopefully we will do it in 2023. It's been a, you know, with COVID and everything, been a little crazy. Um, so it started as um, JC and I were like, you know, we we wanted, I had never, like it was really rare for us to play with, you know, other bands that had a female fronted lead. Like it didn't matter what genre it was. Like it was just rare. It was always, you know, male fronted. And I'm like, how cool would it be, you know, if we had, like something you know it doesn't have to just be our style just to like kind of like get that together and jc's like well let's let's do it let's like you know if i'm venting about something he's like well then let's try to fix it let's you know do something cool with it so the first year we contacted happy dog it was just three bands um do you remember was it who it was jc uh punch drug taglongs was it maddie finn maddie finn yeah and us and we did so it was just um the three of us at um happy dog and we did women rock sealy um was like a you know all female fronted um acts and all of the you know ticket sales and everything was gonna go to a woman's shelter because we wanted like you know if we're gonna get everybody out we wanted to like at least you know make it for a good cause. So that went off really well. And then the next year we're like, well, we want to grow it. We want to like have more bands. And we had played um, House of Blues doing the Whiskey and White Lightning Festival. So like we, you know, had done that before and, you know, we're thinking of places to do it. And JC's like, House of Blues. I'm like, oh, no, they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have. He's like, no, no, we're going to send him an email. So being him, he's like, go big. The worst they can do is say no. So right. we sent him an email and they're like, this is a fantastic idea. We think this is wonderful. So we did it. It was main stage. I think we had five or six. I'd have to look back, but bands um, that played. And it was wonderful because it was a multi-genre festival. Like that was the big thing. Like female front is not a genre. It's multi-genre. You're going to get a little bit of everything, but you're going to see super powerhouse women on stage you know and all of the the guys you know that are in their bands and bandmates that support you know support these women so we did that and then also all of the ticket sales um all the proceeds went to um laura's home women's shelter and then we did it again the following year house of blues they loved it wanted it back we expanded it so we had the main stage and then we also had the foundation room so we and we it was nice because like we did a you know, we did a, um, like people would apply and then we had, you know, like a committee that would kind of choose, you know, who they wanted and like the reasons why. Um, and then we had planned to do it again for 2020 and we had, we weren't allowed to announce, but we had the people. Um, and then when the pandemic hit, um, you know, it kind of stopped that. So I'm hoping next year we can do it again and we're going to offer everyone who's accepted in 2020, you know, first spot to return if they want. Um, but, but yeah, so that's just been like, it's been so much fun and it's great because like for some of, you know, the, the bands, like they might not 
you know, have had a chance to play Hustle Blues before. It could be the biggest gig, you know, they've played yet. And it's just a great community building event. It's great to like be able to support other bands, you know, in the community that like we might not ever play a show with because they're not the same genre as us. I think Neha has the best women rock CLE story I've ever heard. Yeah. So, yeah. So Neha, she is in the band Hera. Okay. So she saw women rock CLE the first year at house of blues. Um, and then, so Neha's actually, she's going to play, um, she's going to sing back up at her album release. Nice. She's on the record. She's singing back up on the record and she's going to sing her parts at the album release. Which we're you didn't know her the first time she saw yeah. Women Rock Silly. Yeah. She just got invited with some friends and she went and she had told us. So the next year, so she, within a year, started a band, um, recorded music and apl- started playing shows and applied and got accepted in the Women Rock Silly. So a year later. She was back on stage. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, so she told us that when we were like backstage and it was just like blew us away, you know, that like we could, you know, help inspire by creating this event and having all these other wonderful musicians involved inspire other people to like write music and create music. And, you know, they have a great fan base now. And like, we're just so happy that we can help support support the Cleveland community because it's so like tight knit musically. And I really like that it's not competitive, you know, it's, it's about like, it's really about building each other up and like, you know, if you can't play a show with someone for some reason, you'll try to play with them another time. You know, it's like everybody understands how hard it is as a musician and they just want to help each other in Cleveland. And I think that's really special. I definitely agree. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Casey. No, yeah, it's just a different, I mean, I've been to other cities like Nashville and stuff, and there's just this, you know, doggy dog mentality. Like, well, why did you get that show? I want, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's all this weird, like, competition vibes going on in, in the Cleveland community. I mean, I, there's, at this point, between Allison and myself, there's probably no musicians that we're not aware of or have met or played a show with in Cleveland or have some type of rapport, you know? Yeah. It's even you, even yeah. you, you're out there. Up 110 percent and it's like mm-hmm. there's no ill will now the cover bands however i think there's a lot of weird stuff going on there but that's a whole different world uh but the the you know the original music community i mean it's it's beautiful it's all harmonious as far as i can tell i've never really had a bad experience was it in like I, I yeah i've been on this concept recently of um uh this wootenism uh where victor wooten is, is, has this whole spiel where he tells his mom he like practiced for 12 hours and she's like cool how's that affect me so his whole thing has been trying to figure out how to take what he does and share that and and help other people do more than just for him and yeah and one one like you guys have ever every crazy idea with I've I've pitched to you guys to help some type of community or some type of fundraising thing. You guys have always been on board. And I think it's it just comes from you guys being who you are and like doing the same thing and seeing how uh how that affects people and how one person seeing you can get enough courage to come back up and do it again and b- then build their own thing from it. And it's so important because most of this most of what we're doing is like showing that other people can do it. And as yeah. soon as we don't make it about that, as soon as, the, as soon as it is about look at what I can do, as opposed to look at what's an option for you, it becomes a completely different thing. 
and that, that kind of makes sense with like the cover band thing because that's that's like a that's a market you know what i mean that's a business yeah that's a business yeah. thing and like and, and they are competing uh, right they are for the gig yeah 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 because there's like three pearl jam cover bands and i'm sure uh eddie's spoken in like uh 10 and a half or whatever <laughs> are, yeah. are trying to get the house of blues too but i think that speaks so highly of who you guys are and the music that you made and just as a friend and as a fellow uh, peer musician i'm super proud of you guys and this record oh, is so you. so <laughs> good and i'm excited for the show on the 20th and like i'm excited to it? see what comes next so this is oh there's a whole other record done and ready that's what I'm, yeah, we're ready. So yeah. we have all the songs we just got to go and record them so we we were busy even though we weren't playing out during the pandemic we we kept busy yeah you'll hear a lot of the new music uh at the show the first half is the first four songs on the record essentially and then all the new stuff in the middle and then the back half the rest of the record very cool very cool is there anything else we want to plug before before wrapping it up no house of blues august 20th and uh yeah they say the record and all streaming services Mm -hmm. you can go ajinthewoods.com you can buy vinyl cd digital download um or you can come to the show and buy them there too and that will help us you know make the next record and yeah. uh the other bands that are playing is brent kirby because we threw it back to our roots our first time playing together oh, by 10 by three so he's yeah. gonna he's gonna open the show acoustically and then uh the morning bird jeremy our bandmate and bass player that's his band fantastic folk They're rock great. band yeah and then uh, to bring to bring in some energy before we get up there, uh, Mikey, Mikey Salas, Apostle Jones. Nice, that's gonna that's a banging lineup too. But those are that's also all the people that are into bringing up the community and supporting each other as well. Exactly. And like mm -hmm. exactly, that's those are the people that also need that amplification. Like one one and also just on another tangent of this, it's really interesting. Like how other people, when they come to Cleveland, are trying to be sold on Cleveland. Like, I've had some people ask me during these type of things, like, should I should I check out Cleveland? I'm like, yeah. Everyone's super supportive. It's it's like Mike Knight at Front Street every Wednesday. Like, um, everyone's... <laughs> nice. <laughs> everyone, like, everyone's supporting each other in whatever they're trying to do. Everyone's going to get up there and back up Dave Myers and Quentin, you know? And like, mm -hmm. it's so beautiful to see everyone grow from that and do their own thing. But anywho... Awesome friends. Well, thanks. Thanks so much for hanging out with me and making this happen. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, Thank you for having us. You come in 20th. We're going to see you. Well, I'm going to try. I got, we got that gig at the, uh, at this house party thing. So depending what time I get out and I'm going to try to swoop in there, but, uh, it'll definitely be, I, I'll miss most of everyone else if I can make it. Yeah. I think we, what time Allison, are we taking the stage? You think maybe 10? Uh, yeah. 9 30, 10, depending on how we're going to, if it's yeah, if set changes are quick, it'll hopefully be nice. This is this has been the first show that we've put on ourselves since yeah. I can remember, nice. since before the pandemic. There's a, a on a like I don't know like when me and Cody really get together to plan like a a release show or something like that. There's like this this other camaraderie and all these aspects of a show like maybe you didn't look at the same way. I'm sure like now yeah. that not doing Front Street, I'm sure you look at that the same way kind of now just all the time. Just on, oh yeah, on lo like a lower scale, like um, but it's 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 I, I don't know it's kind of cool. It's like it's us against the world type thing, and like in the positive way, you know. Yeah, it feels like that. You know, there's there's only so many like what's what's the most recent? And when I say make it, I mean paying your bills with music. 
Like, what's the most recent person you can think of that's that's come out or band that's come out of Cleveland that's doing it? Right. I, I'd probably I probably say Welshley Arms, and that was still seven years ago, right, maybe eight. Right. Well, that's like that's like big, big scale. Yeah, yeah. Welshley Arms for sure. But as far as like smaller scale, like I'm like Oregon Space Trails doing good. Um, yeah. The the regular homies we see, you know, are are pretty doing like. But I'm trying to like as far as like making the bigger bigger market scene like i don't know <laughs> like i think you're right with welsh welsh yeah so it's just it's just a you know keep doing the art definitely that's that's the name of the game keep doing the art yeah maybe some people appreciate it maybe the right person will hear it and take you with them maybe maybe you just i always said it's a constant game of being relevant and being around you know most of the bands that we started with in 2015 that we were playing shows with are no longer bands right you know, yeah, yeah. the only one I can think of is is Knights, and they were a band well before we were, and that's that's probably it. Well, and was Megan's band around then, or did they start post? Skept- no, no, they they started I think in the middle or after. Yeah, cause she, I mean, she's been around doing the doing the stuff, but the band has been different. Yeah, she was doing the open mic for a long time. Oh yeah, I went to Megan's open mics. <laughs> like, yeah, I did too. I did too. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I can't really put a finger on some names, but I, I think it's a longevity thing too. You mean you oh, keep writing sure. and making semi decent art? You know, I would never say my art's good, but I'm happy with it. But you, I think if you just keep at that, you know, good things come with that eventually. Hopefully, that longevity or perseverance will equal success somehow. Yeah, like, exactly. It does. It doesn't that, mean what in which form it's successful, but in some way it equals success. And and that's you know running running Front Street Social you know, is, is one of my favorite things to do ever. Yeah. And you, I talk to some of these young bands, and they go, "Well, how come we're not getting booked here and getting booked here?" And it's like, "Well, how long have you been a band? Well, six months." Exactly. Okay. <laughs> I'm on seven years, and there's some places I want to play that I'm not getting booked because I'm not there yet. I said, "You got to do those Thursday night shows in the tavern at the Beachland to you know your girlfriend and two of your buddies." At, at you know midnight and get up and go to work the next day you're gonna have to do a lot of those gigs those gigs are very important that's called forging right forging the fire man yeah. i mean that is a paid practice and those are worth it definitely definitely and, it only, and once you do enough of those yeah you get it yeah like i i was thinking like someone was asking me something i'm like i've been we've been a band for 10 years and we finally got two yeses <laughs> And yeah then, <laughs> you know and then yellow man canceled uh <laughs> <laughs> So, so it's like, it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's a self fulfillment thing, but it's also like outward growth too. It's not like, it's a balance of the two. You got to love what you're doing and love that other people are like, can see themselves doing what they're doing through what you're doing. I said doing a lot. (laughs) I mean, what's cool on Front Street too, there's been a couple of bands that you have even seen blossom out of here and they don't come back. Because they're a band playing gigs now, right. but they started an open mic. And it's the best. It's the best because that's where I started. Was an open mic. That's where Allison and I yeah, started. So we started. That's like that's the best option when you're new and you need to like learn how to play out live in front of people. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm gonna get to editing and sending that here soon. I appreciate you guys. Super. Oh, proud thank of you. And Saturday's thank gonna you. be the shit. Awesome. 
Yo, Spike Spiegel here. You just listened to Zig of the Gig Podcast. Keep riding the bebop. See you, Space Cowboy. Bang. <laughs>